morning, church. My name is Paul Song. Uh, I recently completed my pastoral residency here at Cherrydale. Uh, it's been an opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, we're truly grateful for this church family. Um, before that residency, uh, my family and I, we lived overseas for 11 years, not as missionaries, but as international workers who looked for opportunities to build up the church wherever we went. From 2013 to 2018, we lived in a megacity in India of 32 million people uh, with less than 1% Christians. Even with two kids under two, we were excited to move there. But when we got there, we faced a host of challenges. My wife, she got dengue fever. She almost had to be medically evacuated out. Our kids were con contracting all sorts of diseases that we couldn't even pronounce. And then um, the trash season, burning season began. They say, they say that being outside is like the equivalent of smoking 30 cigarettes a day. Uh, we were wearing N95 masks before they were even a thing. Um, but, but beyond the physical, we felt oppressed with a spiritual heaviness, a darkness that's likely rooted in the worship of millions of gods around us. Um, this is amazing to me that even to today, when somebody asks, what's your favorite time overseas? We say without hesitation, India. We experience God's love for that nation of 1.4 billion people, thousands of people groups, all made in his image. We saw the plan of redemption unfolding before our very eyes, and we witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit drawing people to Christ from darkness into light. Now, before we go into the word, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, as the minds of the disciples were open to understand the scriptures, this is what we want from you right now. Reveal your plan of global redemption and our role in it. Because of sin's effects on us, which causes spiritual blindness, we need the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart to behold wonders in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our God is a missionary God. He's on mission to redeem a people from every tribe, language, and nation. Revelation 7-9 depicts a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's ultimate purpose is to be praised among all the peoples of the earth, and we have the joy of being his vessels in this story of redemption. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. My goal for you, uh, my goal today is to fill you with hope by showing you how God's mission will not fail. My aim is to do this by revealing how the Great Commission is scriptural, global, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray you will leave here today worshiping this global God and seeing our calling to be his witnesses to the nations. The Great Commission is God's mission for the church. There are several places in the Bible where Jesus gives his parting words before he ascends to heaven. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is probably the most famous, but I want to show you how awesome Luke's version is. God's mission, or the Missio Dei, is the work of God to redeem and reconcile a people for himself. There is this aspect of sending in God's mission. 
The Father sends the Son to reconcile all things to himself. The Father and the Son send the Spirit to continue salvation and regeneration. The Son sends the church in the power of the Spirit to continue his mission. What I mean by scriptural is that the entire Bible is a missional book, and scripture shapes his people to be a witness and testimony in the world. Now let's turn to verse 44. Luke, Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So why didn't Jesus just leave them with, See my hands, see my feet, touch me? Why did he decide to have the ultimate Bible study with them? Well, it's because he wants to show them that the plan of salvation is from his word, which cannot be broken. The apostles in the New Testament understood this, and it transformed them. Remember Peter's first sermon? He cites the Old Testament four times, showing us that the Christ is the long-promised king in the line of David. Verse 46, And then he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. In order to understand the phrase, thus it is written, we need to go back to verse 44, where Jesus says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This covers the whole Old Testament, and he's saying that we need to understand his mission in the context of the whole Bible. Jesus is explaining here that suffering and death are not obstacles to him becoming the Messiah. It is why he is the Messiah. That Christ should suffer was the plan from the very beginning. Think back to the law in the book of Exodus, where the sacrificial system was instituted, where in order for sin to be forgiven, blood must be shed. Paul reminds us of this requirement when he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, crucified and risen to reconcile us to the Father. The prophets provide a host of promises tied to God's mission of sending his Son. Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, written centuries before Christ, Isaiah 53, clearly depicts the Passion Week of Christ, where Jesus Christ is he suffers he's rejected and he dies in order to die in our place with regards to the psalms theologians say that jesus is likely thinking of psalm 22 which gives a description of one dying of crucifixion even before the cross was invented on the cross jesus christ cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me in that moment Jesus was forsaken by God. Why? Because he took upon the sins of the world so that for those who place their faith in Christ will never be forsaken, but be found in God, be adopted into his family forever. If you don't know Christ, this is the good news that we pray will be for you today. In India, we had the privilege of starting a small group for students in our home. We were close to one of the largest universities in the whole nation, and so people from all over the country gathered. Um, for some reason, they loved Korean food, and I believe the Holy Spirit used Gina's cooking to really draw them in. Um, well, side point, but hospitality, I believe, is truly an effective means for missions. Uh, 
Um, one sister in our group, she was struggling. She was struggling with counting the cost of being a Christian. She was from a higher caste, which means she's afforded enormous privileges in society. And by becoming a Christian, she would become an outsider to society and to her family. How do you overcome that? Well, she saw Christ, who was God, but went outside the city gate to suffer on her behalf. So she was able to go outside the camp to be with him. We experienced so many testimonies like that. Do you know what an effect suffering for Christ has? It invigorates the church. It draws people to God because they can't help but wonder. It must be true if you're willing to give everything up for it. The suffering of the Messiah is prophesied and fulfilled in Jesus. Remember that our suffering for the cause of global missions is doing something. Paul is saying in Colossians 1.24 that our suffering points to Christ's suffering and thereby advances global missions. Also, remember that we have a suffering Savior who sympathizes with us in our suffering. We are never alone. I remember meeting Chinese pastors when we were living in Southeast Asia, and it was just remarkable to me. They would detail in the same sentence the suffering, the persecution they were receiving at home in China, beatings, imprisonment, ridicule, scorn, and their passionate, holy ambition to take this gospel to the Middle East. Then I learned that there are more Christians attending church on a given Sunday in China than all of Europe. Amazes me, God is up to something. Now let's turn to our second point and see how this Bible, this Word of God, is a missions text. So after Jesus, he explains that suffering and his resurrection is from the scriptures. He instructs them that missions is from the very beginning. Verse 47 says, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. A key point of this passage is that everything from suffering to universal proclamation was predicted in the scriptures. That Jesus' coming represents the culmination of a promise introduced to Israel. That promise was to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus and the mission of the church announces the realization of that promise. But do we really see global missions from all of Scripture? Let's turn to Genesis 12, 2-3. Let's go all the way back. God says to Abram, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Next, let's turn to the Psalms. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Here we see the theme of our missions week. The psalmist calls on the people to praise the Lord. He uses the covenant name of the Lord, which he gave specifically to Israel, 
But now the psalmist, he summons all the nations and all the peoples to praise God. Even in this period when it seems like God was focused on one nation, he says nothing less than the praise of all nations is sufficient for my glory. This is God's purpose for the world, to see all peoples praise him. But how? How will the nations worship God when they are not chosen? Well, it's going to happen through the Messiah. The theme of a global Savior is woven throughout the message of the prophets. God intended to bring the Gentiles of the world to himself. Isaiah chapter 2 says, All the nations shall flow to worship the one true God. The Messiah promised through the prophets would be the sent one. Even the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is prophesied in the Old Testament. Look at Joel 2.28, where the prophet says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The apostle Peter, at his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he quotes this very passage. The spirit would empower the proclamation of salvation to the nations, and that was the plan from the very beginning. Lastly, let's look at a New Testament passage that really brings this point home. Romans 15, 9-11 says, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. So in Romans 15, Paul is giving the reason why it is his ambition to make the gospel known where it has not been known before. What he does is he quotes the Old Testament three times, and these quotes have a crescendo effect. First, it says, the Jews will praise God among the Gentiles. And then it says, the Jews and Gentiles will praise God together. And then it culminates with, let all the peoples praise God and extol him. The Old Testament pictures this beautiful mosaic of the nations worshiping together. So it's not a question of if all nations will know the gospel. It's a question of when the the church will preach the gospel to all nations. I like to pause here and zero in on the word uh, nations. So, So these are not nation states because they didn't really exist then. Uh, The word nation translated as ethne Uh, That's where we get the the word ethnic, ethnicity from. In the Bible, it can mean several different things. People groups, Gentiles, pagans, nations. Um, So I think that's probably why we see in Revelation 7-9, it covers the whole spectrum. Nations, tribes, peoples, languages. Um, our, Our focus here at Cherrydale on unreached people groups comes from this understanding that nations is pointing to people groups. And if we will finish the task, we need to plant churches in these ethno-linguistic groups, especially with no access to the gospel, no Bible translated in their language. I also think we see a focus here on places because of passages like Romans 15 where Paul talks in geographic terms as well in terms of finishing the mission. Regardless, Jesus' orders to the church are clear. We're called to evangelize and disciple all people. It's God's plan that the world will be filled with his worship 
and God will extend his dwelling place through the advancement of the church that began in the garden and will culminate in the new Jerusalem. This should give us great faith and confidence in finishing this task. Now this takes us to verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Here we will see how our mission is tied to God's mission. So Christ is clearly talking to the apostles here, right? Because they can testify to Christ. They can testify to his resurrection. But to understand it more fully, I believe we need to link verse 48 with Acts 1.8. Remember Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So they're they're like two volumes in, in one book. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So did the apostles complete the task of the ends of the earth? No, they didn't. So by extension, we are to continue this apostolic mission to witness to the risen Christ to all nations. That's our task. So how do we witness to the risen Christ? It's clear from the book of Acts, we see various things. We see preaching and teaching the scriptures over and over. Luke makes the point that the mission of God is fulfilled as the word of God multiplies and grows. We see calling people to repentance and faith, testifying to the crucifixion, proclaiming the resurrection, planting churches, and building up congregations. Turn with me now to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I realize I haven't been giving you time to to turn in your Bibles, but I think the passages are also up here. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So using these categories, we are to baptize, which implies repentance and forgiveness of sins, as well as gathering people into churches, as the church has the authority to baptize, and teaching, which implies obedience, and mature disciples. Now, I'll just pause here and make a disclaimer. Okay, so are there people in Arlington, in our neighborhoods, and at work who need to be discipled, who need the gospel? Yes, absolutely yes. And are the nations in our midst? Yes. I believe that reaching these people here is an effective way of reaching the nations. The D.C. area is home to more than 20,000 international students awaiting campus ministry, awaiting a church family like ours. The majority of these students come from least-reached countries like China, India, Saudi Arabia. God has brought the unreached here. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, atheists are all here. So let's look for ways to welcome and witness to the nations here. If you don't know how, I'll be happy to connect you with with ways and brainstorm with you. We have people in this church who represent and lead ethnic ministries to Mongolians and Chinese. There's even a Thai church that meets in our building. So all of that, yes and amen. 
This is a point, though, on strategic priority to finish the mission. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7,000 people groups with no indigenous church able to evangelize their people. These people represent 3 billion people who most likely have not heard the name of Jesus. We know that without salvation in Christ, we are condemned. So that should land on us. At the same time, we should not be motivated by guilt, but we should be motivated by God's glory, right? God has shined the light of Christ on us so that we can be a light to the nations. We are actors in his unfolding epic of redemption and restoration. So you might be thinking, you know, this sounds great. I see it in scripture, you know, from the very beginning, but it's just too hard. You know, I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling to parent my kids. How do you expect me to live missionally or to go? Um, For the answer, let's turn to verse 49. The Great Commission is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what's the, what's the context of these words? The, the disciples have seen the risen Christ. They've touched his nail-pierced hands. They've put his hands in his side. And then their, their minds are opened by Christ to, op- to understand God's plan of the history of salvation all in Christ. Like, you know, can you imagine this? They are on the, the most highest of spiritual highs. They're, they're rearing to go like a racehorse in the starting gates. But what does God say? What does Christ say? He commands them to wait until you are clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is the gift that Jesus promises from the Father, and the Spirit is the power we need to complete his mission. In the book of Acts, the Spirit is a spirit of mission. He provides the power for missions, Acts 1, boldness for witness, Acts 4. He sends Philip to evangelize the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8. He sends Peter to the Gentile Cornelius, Acts 10. He sends out the first missionaries, Barnabas and Paul, Acts 13. The Spirit establishes the church and equips it to take the gospel to the world. The Spirit fills all believers, being filled with the Spirit, men testifying boldly to Jesus. The Spirit guides the church's decision and encourages her as she grows. The Spirit enables perseverance under persecution, and power in spiritual warfare against evil spirits. I love this imagery of how the Spirit has clothed us with power. He wraps us like a blanket in strength, confidence, faith, and power. He gives us the power to witness, power to proclaim the gospel, and power against spiritual forces. This covering, the enemy and the world cannot penetrate not even in suffering, not even in death. As believers, we are dressed already with this. At the same time, we must keep putting off our old clothes and putting on the new clothes and walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So this is Missions Week, so I have to include a short missionary biography. Um, I spent some time when we were living in Southeast Asia, spent time working a lot in the South Pacific. I saw this missionary's influence throughout. 
John Payton was born in Scotland in 1824. He was a missionary to what is now the island country of Vanuatu, uh, east of Australia. His ministry was to native peoples who were cannibals. And despite, despite constant danger of death, he even buried his wife, newborn son. He built orphanages. He translated the New Testament. He discipled these natives. Today, over 90 92% of Vanuatu ident identifies itself as Christian. This is what he wrote one night when he was in a tree trying to hide and flee from danger. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yes, I sat there among the branches, as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw near to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered above those chestnut leaves as I told all my heart to Jesus, alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I would not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Then he goes on to ask the readers, and this is the question for us. If all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you? Well, we have a friend. We have a friend in Jesus, and he has clothed us with power from on high. So it's my uh, conclusion now, and then a few applications. Um, so two years of living in India, and I confess, we confess, it, it was still hard. We, we wanted to pack up and leave. Uh, Gina, for the first time, got asthma because of the pollution. Um, we were almost attacked by wild monkeys, so maybe I'll have to explain this a little bit for the kids. So the, the, the monkeys were right behind us. I didn't see them, and Gina told me. I didn't believe her. So we ran away, and the, and the monkey chased us down. And these are big lemur monkeys, and they, they could be very dangerous. But we were almost attacked, um, and then a tree fell on our car all in one week. Um, we, we barely made it to church that week. Can you guess who met us at service? It was none other than a Cherrydale short-term missions team. So we attended Cherrydale briefly, uh, 12 years ago before moving overseas. We kept in touch with a handful of people. Um, we didn't know Cherrydale was focused on India. We definitely didn't know there was going to be a short-term missions team visiting that week. They didn't know we were at this church. They just Googled it in a city of 32 million. They found us on their way back home. Man, I just remember their joy was just so infectious. They were so full of love for India and, and the people they were reaching. God's providence would have it that this team would meet us in our time of greatest need to remind us that we are Christ's ambassadors in this world. We are citizens of his kingdom. We have the joy of being his witnesses in the world. So we stayed several years more, and out of that church, a new church was planted among the unreached, that's going strong to this day. Amen. Amen. So application. Uh, what you do here at Cherrydale 
as a faithful member of a mission's passionate church, it, it ripples out there, okay? So don't discount what you're doing here. Your intentionality in reaching the peoples of the world here, it reverberates out in the world. We are uniquely blessed to have the nations at our doorstep. And your faithful sending of missionaries and short-term teams, it glorifies God among the nations. Uh, number two, pray. Pray hard. Pray for the nations. Pray for missions. Pray for our missionaries. Hudson Taylor said, if you would enter that province, you must go forth on your knees. Missionary to Muslim Samuel Zwemer said, the history of missions is the history of answered prayers. Number three, I want to challenge you, prayerfully consider ways to go. Pray about going as a missionary. Talk to one of our missionaries who are here with us this week. Our pastors, our elders would love to pray and, and talk to you. Go on a short-term missions trip. Consider an international assignment with your job. That's, that's how we went. Consider ways to go. Our mission is from Jesus and the word of God, so it will not fail. Though we are weak, the Spirit will empower us to make disciples of Jesus of all nations. This is every Christian's mission. Let's join together in declaring God's glory to the nations. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mission and what you're doing in the world. Give us a glimpse of your glory, the glory that you want magnified among the nations. Empower us with your spirit to bear witness to the risen Christ. We look forward to that day when a great multitude will cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen.